This edition of the podcast is brought to you by the Weekly Standard 2016 Caribbean Cruise, December 4th through 11th. Let's face it, after this election season, we're all going to need a drink and a chance to get away. And what better way to rest up, recover, and get ready for the battle ahead than to join your Weekly Standard favorites like Bill Crystal, Fred Barnes, Steve Hayes, Jonathan Last, Matt Labash, and Matt Continenti on a beautiful Caribbean cruise. There'll be plenty of opportunities for one-on-one conversation with your Weekly Standard favorites, plus special guests like Eric Erickson of TheResurgent.com, Mary Catherine Hamm, Molly Hemingway of The Federalist, and Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist Michael Ramirez. You'll enjoy daily panels and speeches, private cocktail parties, and nightly dinners with your fellow guests and speakers. To learn more or to reserve your cabin, go to WeeklyStandardCruise.com. This is one year when we all need something to look forward to. So look forward to the Weekly Standard 2016 Caribbean Cruise, December 4th through 11th, weeklystandardcruise.com. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Mark Hemingway. And Mark, you have a post up about uh, development. A union actually lost a lawsuit to an evil corporate entity. Do I have that right? Right. Yeah. Um, SEAU got a $5.3 million judgment against them. SEIU, um, the... Service, Service Employees International Union. SEIU is one of those, if not the most politically connected union yeah. in the country. They spent something like $80 million electing Barack Obama. One of the top operatives, a guy named Patrick Gaspard, was Obama's political director uh, during the first term and helped run his reelection in 2012. Um, so SEIU has Wait, been... you're saying there's some connection between yeah. Gaspard and the SEIU? Well, the, no, yeah, no, the other no. story of the SEIU is the first year of Obama's presidency, the two biggest visitors to the White House were the president of the SEIU, Andy Stern at the time, and uh, um, the treasurer of the SEIU. So, I mean, to say that they had a symbiotic relationship with the Obama You're not suggesting that perhaps some campaign finance relationship was going on, are you? Well, no, that's part of it. Actually, one of the (laughs) things that came up when Patrick Gaspard was uh, um, the political director for the White House, he got a $37,000 payment from the SEIU at the same time and, you know, whoops, forgot to disclose this. Um, so, yeah. You're sure this wasn't Hillary Clinton's presidency we're talking about? Right. Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll be seeing plenty of that. Yeah. So how did the SEIU get tagged with $5 million plus in fines, well, particularly from this well, it was from the administration. It was by a court. Yeah, it was by it was by a Houston jury, which is probably one of the reasons why uh, they got the verdict, as opposed to you know sympathetic federal judges. Um, but uh, the so the issue there was is there was this janitorial company, and they were trying to unionize it, and the SEIU basically ran a completely libelous campaign against them. Um, it was like it came out that it was basically their official policy. Their lawyer in Washington just said, "Say whatever you want to say about these guys. Just put the word allegedly in front of it," <laughs> and they filed something like nine. 18 different basically spurious actions with the National Labor Relations right. Board. Um, and then they would do things like they would file a completely spurious um, action with the Labor Relations Board. And then they would turn around and say, see, look, they're <laughs> under investigation. You know, they're in court about this. And it just got to be so much that, uh, you know, the jury just couldn't over, you couldn't ignore what happened. So what is the, I mean, are they actually going to have to pay the money? Is the company going to get the I money? Mean, is this in I, this climate? I assume so. Um, but, uh, you know, who knows how they're going to appeal this or, you know, what where it goes from here. What would you say is the status of the influence politically and you know economically of unions? I want to run some numbers by you. Right. In uh, 2013, there were only 14.5 million union members across the entire country. Right. Uh, the percentage of people involved in a union, if you're in the private sector, 
less than 7% of right. the guys at steel mills and car factories are members. In the public sector, government workers, you know, it's, it's about a third. Right. So clearly unionism and governmentalism have grown together. Has that increased their political power, or is the fact that they have so little weight in the private sector that had decreased it? It's kind of a complicated question. It was a big deal a few years ago when public union membership eclipsed private union uh, membership for a lot of reasons. I mean, for one, inherent, nobody's inherently sympathetic to public unions. Exactly. Like they never had – they always had civil service protections. They never had any of the, the things that private unions had to – we fight for, mm-hmm. um, you know, plus people just don't like bureaucrats sure. on top of that. Um, so, you know, the fact that uh, um, the union pri- the union agenda is being dominated mostly by public sector unions or whatever can't be good for them politically. At the same time, uh, the po- deep pockets of public unions are pretty undeniable. I mean, the, the largest single donor to elections anymore is asks me the American Federated it's the state, county, state municipal, county municipal, yeah, yeah. Um, employees. Well, you know, they brag about you know spending over a hundred million dollars <laughs> on Democrats every election. Um, so um, Democrats are very much beholden to an, an enterprise that isn't terribly sympathetic with the public, but at the same time they carry you know enormous amounts of money. So it's a little bit of both to answer your question. But in general, the decline of Private sector unionization is very bad for unions. I mean, people are sympathetic to steel workers. Sure. They are not sympathetic to, you know, DMV clerks. Uh, people outside the Beltway don't know this, but the uh, metro system in D.C. Yes. is having some major, major problems, despite the fact that we've the, the taxpayers and rate and people riders have dumped gazillions of dollars on the system. And it yeah. was so funny. The other day I was stuck yet again on the orange line, not moving. They'd had another derailing. Once again, these are all the, the, the dumping, the money that's been poured in to keep the system going. Right. And of course it's disappeared into union pockets. The guy in front of me, Wearing an ask me hat, yeah, and I just thought, how perfect that you're on this train, right? <laughs> Not me, but you. Well, no, but but I mean, the, what's going on with the metro though? Uh, um, metro, the one once the crown jewel of America's you know public yep. infrastructure um, has just been crumbling in the last few years, and everyone talks about how the culture of metro is a problem, and unions mm-hmm. are a significant part of that. Just to cite one example. Um, the Metro Union is right now involved in some, well, somewhat of a controversial thing locally, and frankly, it should be national news. But what happened was this. was There was a fire in the Metro right. Tunnel last year, and a woman died of smoke inhalation because they told everybody to stay put and not get out of the train long enough that the so filled with smoke that this woman died. Well, the, afterwards, they found that the union guy um, who was responsible for um, maintaining the safety uh, inspections of that right. tunnel had, had um, falsified reports and lied about it after the fact. The union is now suing Metro to get the guy reinstated. He killed a woman mm-hmm. through his negligence. He, and He didn't do his job, and that created unsafe circumstances. Then he lied about not doing his job. Yes. So they got him red-handed in the worst sense of the word, and the union's fighting to keep him in his job. Yeah, and you know you see that kind of thing with public sector unions um, a lot. I mean, for whatever reason, their job protections vastly exceed the limits of private mm-hmm. sector unionism. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, I do feel bad because, I mean, I do think that there are, you know, unions out there that are trying to make it work. I mean, they understand that management only has so many finite resources, but when management is the American taxpayer, you know, there's sky's the <laughs> limit. You're sadly right. Any more developments on the uh, case, the SEIU case? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I'm going to be interested to see, you know, how the union fights this. And, like, you know, they tend not to roll over and, you know, they have ample resources to do so. But, you know, again, this is just sort of a waiting game for unions. I mean, the SEIU is in financial trouble, has been for a long time. Uh, union pension plans are just, you know, in, in terrible shape. And one of the big th- 
questions going forward here politically is to see what Democrats are going to do to sustain unions because the the financing it just isn't there to pay for you know even in public sector unions for all these lavish retirement packages and things like that. So because Democrats depend on them for campaign cash, they're going to have to find ways to funnel taxpayer cash toward unions and you know keep them on life support so they can create the the circle of campaign finance right. life and uh, the circle of taxpayer funded death. Right. Uh, Mark Hemingway, thanks for joining us for the podcast. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates or subscribe to our podcast at iTunes.com. You'll never miss another one. That's the Weekly Standard at iTunes.com. I'm your host, Michael Graham.